This message comes to you from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon, where we are committed to living like Jesus and sharing His love. It is our prayer that this message blesses and enriches your life. I'd like to go right to the Word of God this morning. If you would just give me your full attention, we'll just slip right in to the Word of the Lord this morning. If you have a Bible, you can open your Bible and and be there ready for me as I read some scriptures in a moment. I'll be in the book of Romans if you want to find that, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans. And you'll find chapter 3, chapter 5 through there. We'll be looking at those scriptures in a moment. Before we get there, we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're talking about the gospel getting the story straight. The gospel is an eternal word. It's a word that holds so many meanings, so many shades of emotion for every individual. The gospel story is different for every person because the gospel comes to us differently. It'll fix where you are. The gospel is not just for a person who's never heard it. The gospel works in a person's life once they embrace it through the rest of their life. The gospel is a very, very important package of grace that every person should understand. I'm going to take you today into the second installment of this particular series called The Gospel getting the story straight. Today I'm going to talk about the gospel is necessary. Why is the gospel necessary? So that every person understands exactly what the Bible says about the gospel and what the gospel is. To begin with, I gave you three basic good definitions of the gospel. Here they are. Number one, the gospel is what? It's God welcomes people just as they are. The gospel is a arms open, you're welcome message. Christ makes the door fly open. Christ is the one who can make the arms of God fly open. So God will take you just as you are. And then we have three little phrases that are so important. They're theological, but they're practical, and they can absolutely be implemented into your life right now. But the three phrases is, by grace alone. By grace alone. Now, grace never stands alone. Through faith. You cannot move into Christ without grace, but you can't move into Christ without faith. And you can't move into Christ unless you understand it's Christ alone. Salvation has nothing to do with anything but Christ alone. You can't add, subtract. You can't package it differently. You can't churchize it. You can't indoctrinate that particular point with some kind of an idea that adds anything to the gospel message besides Christ alone. Not good work, not legalism, not ideas, not philosophy, not anything else. You cannot add to this message. The gospel is so important for us to stand. We have to understand it's in grace through faith, but it's in Christ. And it's in Christ alone. It's not about you, not about your sin, your works, your standing, your goodness, your badness. It's not about your works of charity. It's not about your good intentions. It's in Christ and Christ alone, who will remake you. He'll remake you into someone that is totally different and give you an unimaginable future, a future that you can never have, not only on this planet in time, but also for all eternity, your future. We don't talk a lot about eternity, but you probably think about it. You probably think about eternity every time you attend a funeral. 
Every time you have a close friend pass away, every time a family member embraces this thing called death, you're embraced with the idea of mortality. You look at that coffin, you look at the funeral, you sing the hymns, you, you read the obituary, and you, you understand that life is so short. That's, it takes two minutes to read its whole life. It's all over, just like that. What happens to that body? What happens to that spirit? What, I wonder what eternity is really like. If I could just somehow pass over the line and go see it, then come back, I could really have an understanding about these eternal things. But you can't. can't do that. There's no passing over and coming back, even though a few people have written books about it. There's no passing over. The man that was in hell during the time of Jesus and his parable He's in hell, and it says that he was able to see, he was able to taste, he was able to feel, and he asked for someone to go tell his four brothers to never come here. There was something that Jesus was teaching us about the eternal state of a person. You think about it, I think about it. The gospel is God opening his arms for a reason. Why is it necessary? Second slide, second definition. The persistent God. Now, God will never give up on you. He's a persistent God, always loving you, holding his arms open. And the best message that you can ever tell a friend or tell anybody is God would like to welcome you home. He's the father who loves his children, even when they're wayward, sick, broken, going the wrong direction. The parable of Luke 15, the prodigal son, should be called the prodigal son, not the prodigal son, but the parable of the father. It's all about the father. And you get some idea of what the father is like. And Jesus is trying to tell you what the father is like. As the prodigal son is a long ways off, the son is not running toward the father. The son is trying to deal with his nagging guilt and shame and all that he feels about himself. But he's not running to the father. He's coming very softly and he's coming carefully and he doesn't know if he will be rejected. He does not know that. He's making up his speech. But it's the father who gets up and sees him a long way off. If you're a prodigal child, somehow you're out of step with your father, Father God. Somehow you drifted away from Jesus. Somehow you never got started because of your ideas or your hardness or light threw you too many curveballs and you're that son or that daughter that's kind of off and maybe you're doing your own thing and maybe there's some hurts and junk and stuff and baggage that you're carrying and you're not sure if God would even accept you. I'm talking to you. The father sees you a long ways off and the father begins to run toward that child. That's the gospel. The gospel is the father Tears streaming down his face, saying, my son, my son, who was dead, who is now alive, my son who was ruined, and now he's come back. He's come back to my house. I open my arms. I embrace my son right where he's at because I'm a loving father. I never stop loving him. Even though he's a wreck, even though he wasted everything, I love this boy. That is the gospel. He loves you when no one else loves you. He sees you when you've hidden yourself from everyone. It's the Father that looks and says, I love you, and I'll never give up on you. 
Every time you turn, every time you think, I am there. Every time the devil comes in like a flood, I'll lift up a standard. Every time someone's trying to ruin your life, I'm your gap standard. I am the person that is always for you, no matter what. That is the gospel. Third definition is a little bit more just Bible fact. Jesus Christ and the gospel means there's a life-altering news. Now, the word gospel means good news. It's all about news. Headlines. Breaking news. You see it on your television. Breaking news. Oh, what's the breaking news? Well, the gospel, you could write down breaking news. Headlines. This should get everyone's attention. This is the top of the line, top drawer, on top of every story. This is the breaking news. The life-altering news that Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, became human, lived a sinless life. No sin, ever. Died, but not just died. Atoned. Took on him the very sin of humanity, all of humanity. Crushed him. Crushed him. His death is like no death. His life was like no life. The gospel is about that man who came back to life again so that humanity could actually have a hope to break something in the rhythm of life. Why is the gospel necessary? You can understand the gospel and still not experience it. Not talking about understanding the gospel. Well, I understand that. Not talking just about understanding. Please, hear me. There's a lot of people who understand and never experience. They know about it, but it doesn't know them. They heard about it, but they've never embraced it. They know God is that way, but they're still standing afar off. Why is the gospel necessary? in the life of a human being. Every person that breathes breath, you're born into something, and I want to show you from the Bible exactly what that something is. I'd like you to go to the book of Romans chapter 3. And I'm going to give you why the gospel is necessary. Romans chapter 3, I'm reading from the message translation because it's just so clear. Verse 9 through 18, I want you to get your Bible. I want you to mark your Bible. I want you to think about what I'm saying. I want you to really try to embrace this concept, this idea that I'm trying to put into your hands on why is the gospel necessary. Romans 3, verse 9 through 18. Now Paul, in context, Romans 1 and 2, Paul is dealing with a Jewish community. He's dealing with people that understand the tabernacle, temples, oracles, covenants, all the Old Testament prophets. He's dealing with people that have religious knowledge. He's dealing with people that because of their religious knowledge, they don't believe they need to cross any other line. They felt their knowledge was enough for their salvation. They felt that because they were Jewish and they had the covenants made with Moses and they had the law and they had the temples and they have a, a whole family tree of God events and God history where the Gentiles did not have any of that. Paul is talking to that group of people in Rome who were the Jew of the Jews 
who thought they were fine, who thought there was nothing wrong, who thought that salvation was already in their hands. And Paul now had to convince them about something. And this is what's so hard about the book of Romans and the book of Galatians. He had to convince them that they're the same as a Gentile, which would be a horrible thing to say to a Jew in those days, that you're the same as a Gentile. But the fact is, all of us are born equally. There's no Jew, Gentile, bond-free, male, female. There's no great person, lacking person. We are all born the same way. Doesn't matter what knowledge you accumulate, what experience you go through, what might happen to you, how smart you are, how dumb you are, how religious you are, how good you are, how much you get involved with charities, how much you do this. All of us start the same. So Paul brings them to this kind of a summary about them and the Gentiles. Romans 3, verse 9 through 18. So where does that put us? Now Paul's talking to these folks like I'm talking to you because we're kind of like the Jews. We're religious. We're kind of like the American religiosity spirit where we think because church, if you go, you're saved. If, if you know about it, you're okay. And God won't judge that, and pluralistic society, we're not sure that it's only one way anymore, and there's all this stuff. Well, Paul kind of summarizes and says, okay, so what does that do? Where does that put you? Do we Jews get a better break than the others? Not really. Basically, all of us, whether insiders or outsiders, insiders or outsiders, we start out in identical conditions, which is to say that we all start out as sinners, the Bible word, as sinners. Scripture leaves no doubt about it. There's nobody living right, not even one. Nobody who knows the score, nobody alert for God. They've all taken the wrong turn. They've all wandered down blind alleys. No one is living right. I can't find a single one. Their throats are gaping graves. Their tongues slick as mudslides. Every word they speak is tinged with poison. They open their mouths and they pollute the air. They race for the honor of sinner of the year. Litter the land with heartbreak and ruin. Don't know the first thing about living with others. They never give God, not even the time of day. Sounds to me like the American person, religious or not, a person who doesn't live right, a person who doesn't know God, a person who doesn't give God even the time of day. Even though they live in that state thinking, well, you know, I think I do have some privileges in God because I've done this and done that, and I do understand that, Pastor Frank, so you don't have to go there. We're not talking about what you understand. We're talking about the reality of whether the gospel has been in you or is in you or has never gotten into you. If the gospel has gotten into you, then something will change, and I'll tell you what that is. We all start at the same first base. What does the gospel mean? Why do we need it? Romans 3.23, we've compiled this long and sorry record as sinners, both us and them, to prove that we are utterly incapable of living the glorious lives God wills for us. The gospel is good news, yes. It is not something we do, but something done for us, yes. 
Why is it good news? Because we can't do it for ourselves. Why do you call a sinner? You're a sinner not because you're a sin. You're a sinner because you are born into it. And because you're born into the human race, the time you take the breath that you become a living soul, you become a sinning living soul. Well, Frank, how do you know that? I'll tell you two reasons how I know that. One is that your sin nature does not have to be taught to you. You don't have to go to a seminar when you're three years old. You don't have to do anything during your life. You are born self-willed. You are born selfish. You are born with a deviant mentality. You are born with a prone to do things absolutely wrong and sometimes so wrong that you fit the list that Paul read. You're born to commit certain things in your body and your mind that you can't stop if you try. There's not one person in this room that even if you tried to stop sinning and that you would never sin again or you told yourself when you were 10 years old, I'll never swear, I'll never be angry, I'll never have resentment, I will never think a bad thought, you will lose. You'll lose within 20 minutes, 20 hours. You will lose. You can't stop it. Why? It's in you. It's in you. You're born into sin, shapen as a sinner, and you sin because you have a sin nature. And because you have a sin nature, there's another thing tacked onto it. It's called death. Adam was not supposed to die. Adam was supposed to be an eternal soul. He crossed the will of God. He entered into the flesh. He did what was disobedience. He brought the whole universe into his decision, even though you might think it's a, a little fairy tale story, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, it is an absolute Bible story, and it's where it all starts. And so we start there, and we know one thing no matter what anyone says, people die. Now, you can call it whatever you want, but I'll tell you right now death is not a fantasy. Death is not some kind of a riddle that you got to figure out. Death is not something that people are debating. Will we die? Will we not die? You will die. You will die. And you will cross over into the unknown. Documentaries, books, and magazines by the thousands been written about that unknown. When you actually cross over that line into the unknown, will there be nothing? Will there be annihilation? Will you go to sleep forever and never wake up? Was it all about just your body? What about your human spirit? What about your mind? Is there anything that comes outside the grave? Are you only a physical body? No, if you were only a physical body, you would have no life in you at all. You are a spirit being. Whether you know it or not, you are a spirit being. Now your spirit, human spirit, is eternal. Your human spirit is eternal. But that eternal part of you, which is your spirit person, will spend eternity somewhere. And you will have memory. You will understand time. You will have some kind of a grasp on what life was all about and the life you lived. That's what the Bible says. I choose to believe that, and that's the way I'm going to preach it. And I think people will have to face up to what happened with the fall. Well, with the fall, we became sinners. We're marked, stamped deep inside of our nature to sin, and to have no hope. And so because we have no hope inside of us, because there's a, a piece missing, when, when we're born into sin, born into Adam, we're born into Adam. What Romans 5 says, the whole chapter, we're born into Adam. There's a hole inside of us. And that hole makes us restless. 
that hole in our spirit, that vapor, that, that part of us where that e eternal Holy Spirit part of the spiritual man has never been lit. You've, you've never opened that to God. You've never come back to the crater. You've never really welcomed yourself home to the true Father that really you have been born into. You're living your life, but there's a restlessness. There's a nagging. There's a guilt. There's a search. There's a, there's a carnality to it. There's a, a, well, a hopelessness to so many people. Try to fill the void. Fill the void with knowledge. Fill the void with sex. Fill the void with booze. Fill the void with drugs. Fill the bore, uh, the, the hole just with doing recreation. Fill it with anything. Stay busy. But at some point, you lay on your bed at night or early in the morning, you think about it. If this is all there is, work, retire, save money, whether I have 100000 or $5 million or nothing and raise my kids, they're gone empty nest and, and I've lived my life. If, if this is all there is, I am one sorry soul. I, I just don't understand it. There's got to be more to life than this because none of those things could ever fill the void, the core, the piece of you that is empty, the piece of you that is trying to fill it with something. Everybody has that void. And you keep filling, you keep filling it, and it only gets emptier and emptier and emptier. It's the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon says, I tried everything under the sun. Thank you very much. I tried a thousand wives. I tried uh, having wealth untold. I, I had all kinds of animals. I, I loved horses for a while. Then I loved peacocks for a while. And then I did this for a while. And I built houses for a while. And I did this. He says, you know, when it's all said and done, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. Nothing satisfies man. There's a problem with the human heart. That's where he ends up. And he says, oh, that I might find a redeemer. Oh, that I could know. That there's more to life than money and achievement and this and that. 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, and bam, it's gone. There's got to be more. And there is more, folks. Your core, your whole, your part of you that is empty, there is a person who can fill that, and his name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. He's the one that fills that hole. And being born again is not just fire insurance to get you out of hell. It's filling the void with a whole new purpose. Then if you lose your wealth, you can smile. Say, it's not about that anyway. You lose your health, you can smile. Say, it's okay. I get a brand new body anyway. This is not the end. If you lose your child, it's not the end. That's why a Christian can look death right in the eye for yourself, for your family, for your friends, and look at all kinds of crises. The difference is something has been put inside of you to understand life is more than what you have right now. Life is in Christ, and Christ is eternal. And because Christ is eternal, I'm eternal. And the story, get the story straight. This is only a minute Millions of a second that we live for a hundred years. We have all eternity to party with our family and our friends and Jesus himself. We have hope. Hope. Beyond. Anything, any person. It's almost too good to be true. Is, is that really true, Frank? It's true. But you have to embrace it. The gospel we need the gospel. Why? Number one, 
because all humanity is dead in its sins. What I just preached to you. We're born into sin. We have a separation from God. We're alienated from God. Romans 5.12. You know the story of how Adam landed us in this dilemma. I love the message translation. I just think it's the best ever. You know the story of how Adam landed us in the dilemma we're in. First sin and then death. And no one exempt from either sin or death. That sin disturbed relations with God in everything and everyone. Romans 5.12, a great scripture to memorize. He landed us into a losing fight. He landed us into alienation. Because you're born in sin, you're born into alienation. You're alienated from God. When you're alienated from God, you're alienated from yourself. Psychologically, the pieces don't work right. Psychologically, you can have a dysfunctionality inside of you on a .1 scale to a 50 scale, but there's something wrong. You don't quite align with yourself. You don't have peace with yourself. You don't really accept yourself. You have things about you that really you should not think about yourself. Why? You're psychologically out of step. You're psychologically not aligned to God, and you're not aligned to yourself, and so everything is turned inward. You can become a peculiar human being, or worse than that, because you can't connect the dots. There's something wrong inside of you. You are alienated from people, because if you're alienated from God in relationship, it affects everybody around you. So you get alienated from relationship. You don't know how to forgive. You don't know how to love. You don't know how to do life with people. Why? Because your old Adam nature bumps you out of step every time. Every time you're just not sure what people think. You're not sure how to handle that. And so you're bumping around. Why? Because you're out of step. You're out of step. You're alienated with yourself. Alienated with people. Alienated with society. Alienated in your mind. Arguing with yourself. All of that works against a person. Sin brings with it a nagging emptiness, a nagging guilt, and a nagging shame. Well, you're no good, you know. You know, you'll never really change that. It says in Romans 8, 1, the condemnation the devil brings into your life is piled upon the condemnation that you bring on your own life. So as you think about yourself wrong, the devil jumps right on it. That's right, you're wrong. That's right, you're dysfunctional. That's right, you'll never figure it out. That's right, you're a mean person. You're, you're brutally dishonest. That's right, you're a deceiver. You have a deviant mind. That's right, you will never be loved by anybody because if they knew you the way you are, they would not love you. You have a deep problem. You have a deep problem. There's something really wrong with you. And so the devil beats on these pieces because he knows he can get a foothold in our life and we turn into a different person. The gospel comes to unwind all of that and to bring clarity to who you are. You are a child of God. You are loved by the Father. You have a destiny. You can forgive other people. You can make good decisions. You can have a great life. You can do things for yourself that you never thought you could do because God's on your side. Come on, church. You have a great future. You have a great future. And when you embrace that, all of life changes. Your attitude, your approach, your decision-making. All human problems are ultimately symptoms of our separation from God, who is the cause the cause. We have all kinds of symptoms, but the cause of being separated from the Father. 
The second thing why we need the gospel is because we're prone to try to save ourselves. We do good things for people. Nothing wrong with that. We do the Mother Teresa thing. That's awesome. We do the feed the poor, help the kids under the bridge, take food to people, work for the schools and help teach classes to the uh, people who need English second language or deliver food or, or uh, we go on marches to help raise money for all kinds. So all of that is good. But remember, none of the things that you do that you think are good are the gospel. None of them will ever become the gospel and they are not the gospel. Meaning, none of those things will save you. How many times have I talked to someone and maybe you where someone would simply say, but you know, I'm really a good person, Frank. I, I really think God will be happy to have me in heaven. It's not, it's not anything to do with good, bad, indifferent, horrible, great. It's not about that. Do you not understand that's not the gospel? Well, you know, I go to church and I help teach Sunday school and I do all these things. There, there's going to be, unfortunately, a lot of people that will end up having a great surprise at the coming of Christ when they think that because they did these things, did these things, did these things, that this was actually the gospel. But the gospel is Christ alone. It's what God has done for you. It's not what you do for God to get your salvation. You can't do anything for God to get your salvation. Nothing. 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 After you're saved, Good deeds are a good thing. The book of James builds on that. Absolutely. But it is not the gospel. The gospel is in Christ alone. Through grace alone. By faith alone. And the work of one man by himself that moves you from Adam into him, into Christ. Legalism is the gospel of words, good deeds, things we think that will save us from our sins. It says we have to live a holy life good life, then I'll be saved. Well, you know, Frank, as soon as I can quit doing some of the things I'm doing, I, I think I'll, I'll get back in church. Wrong thinking. Wrong, wrong, wrong thinking. You know, as soon as I can feel better about myself, I think I'll start reading the Bible and maybe come closer to God. Wrong, 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 wrong thinking. The gospel is not about what you are or what you do. It's about who he is and what he had done. What he has done. And when I slip into what he had done, it doesn't matter how I feel about me or my life or anything else. I am in Christ alone. And from that comes a life of new desire. Isaiah 64 verse 6. We are all like an unclean thing. All of our righteousness are like filthy rags. We all fade as a leaf, and our iniquities, like the wind, have taken us away from God. Galatians 2.16, Paul makes it very clear. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ alone. Even if we have believed in Christ Jesus, that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh, no flesh shall be justified. Works of the law was the good things you do. And that's what the Jews were saying. Hey, the Gentiles don't do any of these things. What, what in the world are you talking about, Paul? The Gentiles are horrible sinners. 
We keep the law. We keep the Sabbath. We give our alms. We take care of the poor. We quote the Psalms. We, we have prayers all the time. What are you talking about? Paul is trying to explain to them, it's not what you do, it's what he's done. And anything else is not justification. It doesn't matter how good you are. If you've not been born again, you'll go to hell. You will find yourself on the wrong side of the cross. And you will be saying to yourself, but I don't understand. But you do understand. You understand that you cannot save yourself. Galatians 5 verse 4. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt, you who attempt, you who attempt to be justified by your works, by your laws. You have fallen from grace. Wow, Galatians 5, 4 says you fall from grace when you do that. There's no way you can enter into grace. I'm going to give you one more scripture here that really puts it very clearly. When we are born again, moving from being a sinner living in our sins, now hear me, to a sinner living in God's grace. You don't stop from sinning. I hate to say that, lest I encourage you to keep being who you are, but you will keep being who you are. There are certain things about you that you cannot change until the second coming of Christ, till you are changed totally. There are things you will struggle with, like it says in Romans 7, the things I want to do, I don't do the things I don't want to do, I do do. Oh, wretched man, what's he talking about? He's talking about a person who is struggling with this old man, new man, righteous, unrighteous. I'm not quite there. Well, that's the walk of maturity. But when you finally get to the gospel, you understand, I'm living as a sinner in my sin. I now live as a sinner in Christ's grace. Those are words to think about. Words to think about. What's that mean? 1 John 3.14. We can't save ourselves. We can respond to the gospel. Now, now, please write down these three words. Change of status. Change of status. What do I mean? When you're born again, we know that we have passed from death to life. That's change of status. That is a passing. A line was drawn. Something happened. Where 1 John 3 says, we know that we have passed from death to life. 2 John 1 verse 9. Whoever transgresses does not abide in the doctrine of Christ, does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son, and we are e either in Christ or out of Christ. In America, we have a shrewd third piece called in between, gray, kind of, maybe, could be, don't know. Bible says you're in. If you're in Christ, your roots are in Christ. You've passed from death to life. You have been born again in your spirit. You are living in Christ. Your roots are in Christ. There is something transformed in your heart. You are in Christ. Or you are out of Christ. You might have good deeds, good works, good life. You might have a form of your own self-righteousness. You might be the kindest living human being on face earth. But if you are out of Christ, you receive the consequence of it. There is no, well, you know, I, 
I was kind of in. There's no kind of in. Revelation 3, I stand at the door and I knock. And if any man opens the door, I will come in and sit down and do life with him. I'll sup with him. I'll set up my house and his house. I will be his Christ. I will be his Lord. I will be his communer. I will come and I will live in him. But you have to open the door. Once you open the door and Christ comes to live in your life, you are so changed and so different. There will never, ever be another doubt in your mind that you're in Christ. You're in. You're in. You're out. In. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and believe in your heart. What is that? That's opening the door. It's not building the whole house, but it's opening the door to say, Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. I believe I'm a sinner and I believe I need help. I want you to set up house in me. I want you to transform my spirit. I'm ready for this. Jesus, 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 I believe and I'm reaching to you. There's the beginning point of faith that comes into your heart, into your spirit, and you move from death to life. Make no mistake. You know exactly where you are right now. I don't have to convince you. You know. You know. If you are, this message is hallelujah. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, come on. There's no problem. But if you're not sure, it's ow, oh, wow. Uh, you know, maybe, I, you know, that's, I'm talking to you. I don't want maybes. I want people to go, absolutely, I'm living in Jesus. And Jesus is living in me.